So if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy, we'll be picking it up in chapter 3. And where we left off last week, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And we'll read this week through to verse 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that, I ha- that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from doing bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to keep you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together once again. Lord, we ask for the next uh, few minutes that you would help us uh, focus our minds to understand your word, uh, sharpen our attention and our focus, and give us grace to see truly what your spirit has for us in these words. We pray that we would submit ourselves to them, obey them, and learn to love them as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so all scripture is breathed out by God. That is the title of this section, at least in the, the ESV translation of the Bible. And the, this, section, this section is bound together, obviously, in natural continuity with the previous verses. And so I think it's important for us to, of course, refresh ourselves as to that previous section. So last week, something Max talked about was the, the presence and the prevalence of false teachers in the community in Ephesus. And what Timothy is to do in relation to those false teachers. And one of the big takeaways last week is part of what Timothy's job is, is to flee or to to not associate with that kind of false teaching. And if he is to rebuke the false teachers, he's to do so in a way that is not quarrelsome, uh, that that is kind, uh, that creates instruction, that endures evil. Uh, That's all taken from the last couple verses of chapter 2. And the goal for confronting false teachers is found in verse 25, that when Timothy corrects his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So the goal of encountering false teachers, rebuking them, is so that they would repent, they would believe, and they would confess Christ as Lord. They would submit themselves to his word. And then we're given this long uh, set of verses from verse 1 through verse 7 of chapter Three, or sorry, verse 1 through verse 9 of chapter 3, which give us a pretty strong set of descriptors of false teachers that basically starts with this assurance that these people will surely crop up in ministry. And that you can see that in chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. And then there's that whole list that Max said describes what it means to be a lover of self. So, You can imagine you're receiving this letter, 
you're reading this letter, and Paul's basically told you so far, you're going to face false teachers in your ministry. You're going to have to rebuke them in a certain kind of way. Oh, and, and by the way, this will be a constant for you in ministry. <laughs> you can rest assured, uh, just like the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening, just like you get hungry when you don't eat food, uh, just like you uh, get tired when you don't sleep. Uh, if you're in ministry for any length of time, there will be false teachers who crop up. It's a guarantee for Timothy's ministry. And as history will show us, it's also a guarantee for us, is it not? That you, can, you don't have to think very hard, do you, to think of one, two, or several people who you've heard teach falsely. And I'm not saying people you have nuanced disagreements with. I'm saying you've seen videos of people who say things that are absolutely contrary to the faith, and they claim to be Christians while they teach those kinds of things. And they do that for their own gain, for their own lust, for their own pleasures. So you don't have to think very hard, even in the 21st century, to come up with a list of people like that. And so what is the antidote to this false teaching? The antidote to this false teaching is given to us in these uh, seven or so verses, and it culminates in verse 16, where Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. If Timothy is to hold on, the thing that's going to anchor Timothy for for the course of his ministry is going to be being rooted and grounded in scripture. If he's rooted in scripture, the winds may blow, the waves may come, but he will be anchored. He will be firm. He will, he will have direction. Um, if he does not have the scriptures, then it's going to be Timothy's willpower and his impressiveness versus the willpower and the impressiveness of the false teachers. And false teachers can be very impressive. They can be very charismatic. They can be very persuasive. So the only sure hope that Timothy has is truth, unvarnished truth from the word of God given purely. And so Paul introduces this section uh, in verse 10. So you have the false teachers you've been introduced to. And what is the antidote? You, however, here's the, he's talking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings. All that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. These persecutions which I have endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. So here's Paul saying, you're facing false teachers. Hey, I've also faced false teachers. My whole ministry, I've been up against people who've slandered me, who've scorned me, who've reviled me. You've observed how I've conducted myself when facing these false teachers. My faith during that time, my patience, my love for them, my steadfastness, even suffering wrong at their hands. And then he cites some instances. If you go, go read the book of Acts, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, that's a, those are three cities Paul visits back to back to back, where the essential reception is he goes to the synagogue, he preaches about Christ, he gets kicked out of the synagogue, nearly beaten to death, and he goes to the next town, does the same thing, you know, rinse and repeat. And Timothy was there with Paul while this was happening. And so Paul's basically saying, I've modeled for you how to act and to engage with false teachers, patience, endurance, and steadfastness. And the other thing that Paul has modeled for Timothy is that the way you are patient, the way you endure, the way you persevere is by having a sure foundation in the word of God. Because keep in mind, Paul doesn't think that the false teachers have a legitimate claim, right? He thinks they're distorting something that was truly given to him. He doesn't think that it's his opinion versus the opinion of the false teachers. He thinks it's what God's word actually says versus what the false teachers claim that God's word says. And then he actually gives Timothy another, let's say, encouragement. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What about the evil people? Evil people and imposters, they will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
So let the, they're going to go on doing this thing. But as for you, that sounds a lot like in verse 10 where he says, but you, in this case, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So here's Paul saying, I've, I've given you everything you need to endure in ministry, what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. And he's not talking about some, some oral tradition that has been passed down from Paul and the apostles to Timothy. Notice where he roots what Timothy knows and what he's believed. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So how does Timothy know what he's learned? Well, he, he's, he, he knows that it's true because from who he learned it, probably Paul is in view here. But remember who Paul pointed Timothy to in the very beginning of 2 Timothy? That Timothy was raised in the faith, first by his grandmother Lois, and then later by his mother Eunice, and it was passed down to him. As a young Jewish boy, he was raised in the tradition of the Jewish people. And so Paul's saying, when he says, from who you've learned it, he's probably not referring to himself explicitly, maybe implicitly, probably more so referring to his mother and grandmother, who are the ones who've taught him the faith, which Paul merely uh, received Timothy after he was mature and wise in the faith and taught him the ways of Christ. So Paul's saying, you've learned it from your mom and your grandmother, and you were raised in this from childhood. Verse 15, you were raised in this from childhood. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So how does Timothy know what he currently holds to is true? They're rooted in the sacred writings, which he has believed for all time. Now, our temptation, by the way, when we read sacred writings, is to immediately think of the New Testament. That's not what Paul's referring to here. Paul's referring to the Old Testament. Timothy could not have possibly been raised in the New Testament from his childhood. The New Testament wasn't written when Timothy was a child. The New Testament is currently being written as Timothy is in ministry. So in verse 15, when it says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation, Paul's referring to the Jewish Old Testament there, the whole way through. And so then in verse 16, when Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, he's not immediately yet referring to the New Testament. That, by the way, that doesn't mean that I don't think the New Testament is inspired. What I'm saying is we have to be careful readers of the text. What Paul's referring to here is the Jewish Old Testament. The Jewish Old Testament is the scripture which God has breathed out, which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's all referring to the Old Testament. Those are the writings which Timothy was trained in. Now, it extends, of course, to the New Testament, and we get that from other letters, like First uh, and Second Peter, where, where Peter says something like, the scriptures which Paul writes are difficult, which implies that Paul is writing scripture, but it has a context, right? The things which Paul writes are like the scripture that we already have, that Old Testament canon. The point in belaboring that point is to say there's no way for us to hold to the inerrancy of Scripture if we don't hold to the importance and the validity of the Old Testament. Because this claim from Paul is not a claim about the New Testament text. It's a claim about the Old Testament text. And so if the New Testament texts are inspired and we have one reference to them, then certainly the Old Testament text must be considered inspired because we have this reference to them. And many others where Christ says things like, you have seen that it was written or you've heard that it was said, indoctrinating the importance and the authority of those other scriptures. And so what do these scriptures do? They are to make Timothy a man of God who is complete and equipped for every good work. Now that's a whole lot about the text 
and about Timothy and about Paul. And so I think it's important then that we take at least some time to ask ourselves the question, what, what does this have to do with us? The thing that we must do when reading a text like this is in part uh, treat ourselves like we're receiving the advice as well. It's not a totally foolproof way to read this text, but imagine someone older and wiser, a mature disciple in Christ, gives you some advice like what Paul here gives to Timothy. They're setting you free into ministry or into your life of uh, the Christian walk. They might say something like, you've seen me model it for you, now walk it out yourself. You've seen me be patient, walk out patience yourself. You've seen me love, now walk out love. You've seen me be steadfast, walk out steadfastness. If you have Christian parents, this is undoubtedly what they were doing to you for, the la- for your whole childhood, is raising you to believe and to walk in faith. So that, that statement kind of echoes a lot of the application that we saw in the first week that we were in 2 Timothy. But there's another thing, which I think uh, the first application would go to Timothy, a secondary application would go to pastors, and then a tertiary application would go to you all as listeners. So bear with me here. Timothy is supposed to resist false teachers in his context in Ephesus. That much is clear from the text. I said also that by observation, we can see a whole host of false teachers even today in the 21st century. But it's not the job of Christians, every individual Christian, to be the expert immune system for the body of Christ against false teachers out in the world. That's the job of pastors and elders who are appointed to guard the flock from false teachers, to guard the truth of the gospel from false teaching. So that's the secondary point of application. Pastors today still have that role of guarding the body. You as Christians today don't have to become a resident expert in every false teaching that's out there, but you ought to be discerning about what you listen to and what you believe as a Christian. So it's the pastor's job to guard the body, but it's also the body's job to listen to and hear the true teaching of the word of God as it's presented, and to reject the false teaching of the word of God as it's presented. Uh, The job of a Christian is not to refute false teaching necessarily, but to reject it and to not listen to it and to not apply it. That might seem like a nuanced distinction, but let me give you an example of of a practical way in which that might play out. Imagine uh, you have a lovely grandmother or mother who's a firm Christian in the faith. My mother comes to mind for something like this. You might have an old relative that comes to mind, someone who has been walking with the Lord for years. They pray every day. They love the Lord. They love his teaching. They worship on Sunday. They're a model Christian. And some false teacher comes around and advocates a new or nuanced doctrine, something like universalism, and they have a PhD thesis that argues for universalism from Revelation and a couple of the Gospels and and whatnot. You should not expect for your grandmother or mother or whoever to be able to refute a PhD level thesis on some false teaching and then insist that if they can't refute it, therefore they must believe it. But what you could reasonably expect that person to do is to smell it out for what it is and to reject it outright. That's a totally reasonable expectation for a Christian to say, I'm hearing this, you're quoting scripture, but this does not sound right. I reject what you're saying. I don't care how smart you sound. I don't care how many cross-references you have. I don't care how many other PhDs you cite. I reject what you're saying. And that's a totally reasonable expectation for a, for a pastor to have of a Christian, for you to smell out false teaching and to reject it. It is unreasonable for me to say to you all, now you can't reject it unless you can also refute it. That's not true. 
it's my job and Max's job and Tim's job and other elders' jobs to refute false teaching. It's the job of the body to simply reject it outright and just not accept it at all. It's also your job to receive true teaching and to put yourself regularly under that true teaching. Most of you, by the way, do this naturally. You have good resources, you read good resources, and you share those good resources with one another. That's a great way to regularly put yourself under good, sound teaching and instruction. Another way is just to worship the Lord regularly. But Timothy's job here is to refute the false teachers. So that's, that goes to him and to pastors. Your job, as, as listeners of this text, is to believe the word as it's given to you and to reject the adulterations of that word that might be out there in the world. And uh, maybe where there's a fringe or a question or something you can't quite discern on your own, for you to take that to the proper members of the body for them to help you to discern, which would be pastors and elders who can help you think through those things. To that end, churches usually have or should have a culture that's good at asking questions and dialoguing and wrestling with things and discussing them out in the open. There's nothing healthy about a church culture that has a creed that it believes and entertains no questioning or no critiquing of that creed. That's not to say we slander the creed or we reject it outright, but we invite questions, or you should invite questions about what do we mean we believe in a resurrected Christ? What does that mean? What proof do we have? Those are good and healthy questions. Where does scripture teach that we are to expect a Christ who was slain and then risen? Where do we see that? Those are good questions to ask. How do we know that scripture is inerrant? Those are good questions to ask. The kinds of questions churches should cultivate. And it's the job of pastors to instruct and to uh, help Christians along. But if you're walking away with one thing from this text tonight, let it be this. Um, Just because you can't refute something doesn't mean you should believe it. Just because you cannot say, I can totally overthrow some nuanced false teaching doesn't mean you have to go and believe that false teaching or receive it as true. There's a legitimate reflex or instinct that I think Christians have by the grace of the Holy Spirit to sniff out bad doctrine and reject it outright. Now what good teaching does, what good teaching does for the believer is it points us back to scripture and it flows out from scripture. And I think that's uh, really key in verse 16 there. When we say that all scripture is God-breathed, that means all scripture carries with it the character of the God who breathed it out. Now it's providential that we just read that fourth catechism question where it says that God is eternally wise, eternally just, eternally holy, eternally true. So if this God speaks, what should his speech be like? His speech should be eternally wise, eternally just, eternally holy, eternally true. And then it's our job to wrestle with the holiness and the truth and the justice of God's word as it's been revealed to us and written down for us. And that is the job of lifelong study of scripture. But there's no ability for us to say that God is eternally just, eternally holy, eternally true, and then to say, but his word is not that. In the same way that you wouldn't say of someone, they're a patient person, if their speech isn't marked by patience. If you're gonna say someone's a patient person, then when they talk, they should speak patiently. If, if they're a gentle person, when they, when they talk, they should speak gently. If God is holy, when he speaks, he should speak in a holy manner. And so when we say scripture carries with it a, the breath of God, it is breathed by God, then that means we're also claiming that scripture has certain qualities that God himself has. Knowledge, infinite capacity, glory, justice, wisdom, 
All of that is evident in his word. And we cannot reject those things in his word and claim them to then also be true about God himself. Okay. So those are at least two points of application to walk away with. Um, there's much more to get into in this text. I feel like I could say that with every, of these, every one of these texts we've done in 2 Timothy. But the rest of that will have to be saved for our time of discussion. So let me close us in prayer. Father, your word is true, it is just, it is holy, it is good. And it's exactly what we need to live as complete Christians in this world. Lord, we pray that you would build us up in your word by your spirit to make us sufficient, to make us mature, to make us wise unto salvation, that we would follow the pattern of those who walked before us and we would guard the truth of what you have originally given to us. We pray that we would do this under the grace and the power of your spirit for the glory of your Son. Amen.